Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is February the 6th, 2018. This is episode 2160 of the Survival Podcast. It is the only new show you're going to get this week, though uh, I think I've put a lot of new content into some of the rewinds, maybe not all of them, but I think three of the four I put a tremendous amount of new content into for you. Uh, but this will be the long-awaited third in the multi-part series on bug-out trailers with myself and Stephen Harris. We'll have Steve on in just a minute to talk about this. Of course, the reason I'm doing so many rewinds this week is I am up at Liberty Forum, not yet if you're listening to this show, but by tomorrow, if you listen to it a day late, I'm, I'm on a plane hopefully drinking a Bloody Mary and uh, taking this trip as a respite. I wanted to speak to something here at the beginning of today's show, uh, not really introducing the subject matter, because you know what we're going to talk about. Bug out trailers, me and Harris are going to free, free, free ball it through the uh, questions that are like you know a book that you guys sent us of questions. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the stock market, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on with cryptocurrency and the bloodbath, as I'd call it. I, I think in both places we've seen you know first of all let's talk about the stock market crash it's not a stock market crash it's not the biggest drop in history it's uh, the 33rd largest drop in history it's the largest drop by points in history because the dad gone dow jones is up over 25,000 at a high um there is no underlying fundamental problem like during the uh 2008-2009 period with a housing crisis or anything like that going on um, I think there'll be some continued bloodletting and purging, and you'll be some really good buying opportunities. Cryptocurrency. Irrational exuberance has been replaced by irrational fear. And um, there's a lot, I mean, basically the, the powers that be through everything that they had this last month and a half at Bitcoin. Uh, China uh, threatening to ban it again. India saying they're going to shut down. Credit card companies say they're not going to allow you to use your credit card to buy Bitcoin anymore. Things like that. Um, I think all of these things have workarounds. I think this is a, an earth-shattering technology that's not going away. But I'm going to tell you this. I, I don't know what your buy signal is right now. Um, there could be more blood before this is over. There could be a lot more bloodletting, and there could be some real opportunities. And what you have to ask yourself is... Where's my where's my personal entry point? Uh, because right now you, you, they they have the old saying in investing, trying to catch a falling knife. And the reality is, the knife eventually hits the ground, and then you can pick it up. So the per, the, the what people are always trying to do is, is figure out when the knife actually has hit the ground and stuck stabbed in the ground, and now you can pick it up without getting cut. And, and the reality is, you're probably not going to time the exact bottom of any of this stuff, but. It, it's it's a pretty good entry point from what I can see, but if if I woke up tomorrow and and Bitcoin dropped another thousand bucks, I would not be hugely surprised. Um, the last couple times it happened, I was, and I know I have this Spirko Damas type thing that people think I have and all, uh, but I can't see everything, and there is no way that anyone could see, you know, even though I saw the major alt altcoin correction that happened, called it the day before it happened, like this is going to happen now. Um, to see this amount of FUD coming out of, of the world. Um, the, and the credit card company thing really took a big hit on it. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be there's gonna be ways around this stuff. Um, 
And, and where we really need to get with cryptocurrency is to the point where we stop worrying so much about its relation to fiat and we start using it for the utility that it provides. Um, cryptocurrency is a truth teller. Always remember that. That's the whole point. It is, it is the solution to what's known as the Byzantine paradox, which is how can multiple parties all over the world have consensus at the exact same time to the truth of something. I have sent you a Bitcoin. I no longer have it. You have it. And, and it was the first technology in history that has truly created that without an intermediary, without a third party, a direct transaction, individual to individual to individual, multi-party, one-to-one, you know, -one, doesn't matter. And, and that's the real freeing nature of this. And there's multiple technologies, and we don't know which one's going to be the one that uh, actually ends up being the silver bullet. Is it going to be proof of stake, proof of work, some hybrid? We don't really know. This is uncharted territory, but understand that when you get involved with cryptocurrency, you're, you're joining a rebellion. That's what you're doing. You're not trying to buy a Lambo next year. You're joining a rebellion. And you don't become part of a rebellion. You don't become part of an insurrection without getting shot at. And that's what's going on there right now. But uh, I think both of them are going to create opportunities. You just have to figure out for yourself when that entry point is. I've been asked about the stock market. Is it get out, get out, get out like 2008 was? No. No. Um, but, you know, you should be monitoring your investments at all times anyway. I think the stock market is probably going to drop another 2 or 3% before it kind of levels out. Uh, and it'll build, it will not come back fast. But it will come back. Now... There's always, you know, some bank comes out and says, hey, we're about to go broke or something. Like, if that happens, then, you know, you got a completely different scenario. But right now, we don't have any of that. What, what happened in the stock market, guys, is really simple. Uh, these high-frequency traders, they have certain algorithms kicked in. They're like, hey, we're going to make a trillion dollars, so sell. It's sell, 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 sell. And like, once you, when you have these types of holdings these guys have built up over time, because what they're doing, they're doing a high frequency trade, but they're also escrowing. So they have short and long holding into these algorithms. And they have some of this stuff like, okay, we can make money on this all the way down another 4%. You know, we can keep making the return that we're aiming for all the way down to this point. And they'll sell that security all the way down to that point. Now, the other thing that's going on, if you look at this in a graph, you'll see these really deep drops, and it pops right back up. And you're like, man, I could have bought Amazon for X, or I could have bought Apple for Y, and you know what? No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. You don't get to buy any of that. These people running these electronic algorithms, they're the ones doing that. And it's why we need to move to something more of a blockchain nature to remove that advantage from individuals. There's ways to do it right now inside of cryptocurrency, but again, I think we move to decentralized exchanges, and that's why they're scared. Because you're eliminating the need for Wall Street, you're eliminating the need in many instances for government. I mean, you're eliminating the need for central banks. You could see why they might want to come after this. So, um, you know, make smart decisions, and as I've always said, don't put your kids' college fund into cryptocurrency. Never put money into cryptocurrency you can't afford to lose. And don't sit there and check your balance every 15 damn minutes because you haven't made or lost anything until you've sold. That's, that's the big thing to remember. Anyway, all right, so let's get into uh, our typical routine today. I have a history segment for you from David Verne. We're up to the year 100. We have a military buildup. What's new, huh? 
All throughout this year, the Romans have been building forts and roads in Moesia, south of the Danube River, and a canal bypassing rapids in the Danube. Weapons, supplies, and baggage animals are being stockpiled in Moesia in preparation for the invasion of Dacia. The four resident legions began training for river crossings, and six additional legions are beginning being secretly transferred to the front. Roman helmets are modified with the addition of a reinforcement strip of metal to prevent the Doxian flax, a cold, uh, phallus, a curved sword from uh, cutting through the helmet. The soldiers are issued segmented metal protectors for sword arms. Legionnaires are trained to close quickly with the Doxians and additional protection against the phallus. The coming war will require logistical support for almost 100,000 soldiers, thousands of sailors, and estimated 30,000 pack animals. Only Trajan and his closest generals were aware of the full plan to invade Dacia next year. To maintain appearances, the annual tributes to the Dacian king, Beculus, and Dacian ambassador are kept in comfort of Rome. Materials for the construction of two pontoon bridges are prepared with the plan of throwing them across the Danube after the spring floods. My take by David Verne. Two of the most important points to consider before any military campaign are logistics and surprise. During World War II, the Allies spent years stockpiling enough vehicles and supplies to attempt the Normandy landings. An army can only fight for so long before it starts to run out of food, fuel, shoes, and everything else. The Allies also went to great lengths to maintain secrecy, including creating an entire fake army and letting a body wash up on shore with fake invasion plans for the Axis to recover. Indeed, and I think one of the lessons that... The armchair warriors of America, who are the people that are always for every war with no concept about what the hell is actually going to happen, um, have, uh, have come to forget is this lesson right here. We, we're a microwave society. We think everything can be done in five minutes. America could just invade any country, anywhere, at any time, and win the war. And uh, the, the truth is that the nations we've been bombing and going to war with for the last 30 years are not even the B team. And, and that's why we've looked so good at what we've done. And we need to think before we act. Um, God help us, I never. I hope we never find out what it's like to fight a power like, let's say, Russia or China. And it, it's ego that leads you into such a fight in the first place. And there's, no, there's, there's really no need for any type of major conflict in our planet at this point. The major powers at this point could all agree to basically leave each other alone. And we have mutual interests everywhere. There is no place where one side's interest being fully filled and the other side losing really helps everybody. That's, that's the global world we're in today. Yes, there's regional nut jobs and things like that, but they could just be cordoned off, isolated, and, and waited out like a siege. But instead, instead... We chant for war, and we call those that call for peace crazy, lunatics, leftists, libtards, whatever. Let me tell you, there's a lot of libtards out there that chant for war, too, as long as their side's the one that happens to be pushing the button to drop the bombs. You, you notice you didn't hear much of the anti-war left from 2008 to 2016, and, gee, they seem to be crawling out from under rocks now. Yeah, history doesn't always repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Anyway, with that... Let me uh, remind you guys about our two sponsors of the day. Uh, our two sponsors today today are JM Bullion and BulkAmmo.com. Two types of precious metal. Well, JM Bullion, you got gold and silver at better pricing than you're going to get anywhere else. I promise you that. If you check out their pricing, you'll find that to be the case. But you've got a company that's also small enough. If there is a problem, I can get in touch with their president, Michael, and he will take care of it. 
And every other gold and silver company that's ever approached me has not been willing to like give me give me the name and contact information of your president or your CEO or somebody like that that has full control and can fix shit. Oh, we don't do that. Okay, well then I don't work with you. Uh, Jam Bullion, I've been able to, to talk to their their head guy since day one. You know, and they're not a tiny company either, guys. You should realize that they've been a loyal sponsor with us, been with us I think like five or six years now, and uh, man, they just do a great job and free shipping. And discounts. Yes, if you are an MSB member, you get discounts on purchases of gold and silver. I don't know any place in the world you get discounts on gold and silver other than the MSB and our partnership with JM Bullion. Next up, you got that other precious metal, man. Copper jacketed lead. Gun, no ammo, club. That's what you have. You have a club. You have a neat-looking toy, but it doesn't do anything until you put ammunition in it. You need ammo. You need lots of it. So get it from bulkammo.com. they got everything you need with shipping so fast, you won't believe it's on your door. You'll be like... What's what are they bringing me? That's my ammo. I just ordered it like two days yesterday. I yeah, it, it, you know when you're thinking I'll get out to the store and buy some, it'd be quicker just to order it there. Oh, you get a discount too, MSB members. Check it out in the benefits section of the MSB. All right, with that, let's go ahead and introduce our special guest today. Coming back for round three of this, Stephen Harris, and we'll be talking about bug out trailer. Steve, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Free. Oh wow! I am. I can't tell you how much I have just been thoroughly enjoying the Bug Out Trailer series. Whoever wrote to us and said, "Hey guys, do a show on Bug Out Trailers," you know, I owe you. <laughs> All the material. I mean, I think that we'll be uh, like, we'll be like, "Hey Steve, it's uh, it's almost Christmas, and this is uh, the final episode, Bug Out Trailers 12." I I kind of feel like <laughs> it's going to go that way this year. But we did have an update on something we recommended in show two that maybe is not so much a good recommendation and we want to update, right? Yeah, um, I talked about the Toyota Tomy Laser 530 Direct Vended Oil Miser Heater. This is a heater that goes in the wall of a trailer. It takes in fresh air and exhausts out the trailer as well. So there's no flame in the trailer, just like your furnace almost. Um, it runs on uh, diesel fuel, uh, number one, number two, and kerosene. And someone who's an owner of one, I was really looking at buying one of these. They're like 1500 bucks, so they're not like really cheap. But they're very high quality. And someone who owns one wrote to me, says it's not durable enough to take weeks or months of travel in a bug-out tra trailer. So when I travel, I'm out for weeks to a month. The heater can't take the constant vibration and it bounces and it breaks. Um, like I said, the owner expert got in touch with me. But, you know, if you were just bugging out and you were going 100 miles, it would work because there's not mu that much bouncing around and you're going to be stationary when you're using it and everything. Uh, so it kind of would work in that application. Now, I'm going to have a whole thing either on a TSP expert panel or in bug out four or five where I'm going to talk about heat and cooling um, with Jack. We're going to brainstorm it, and we're going to talk about it in detail. So look for that coming up in a future show. Yeah, definitely. And that's great. And, you know, guys, like when you get in touch with us and say, hey, I know you mentioned this thing, and uh, I have one, and I used it, and it, it works, but it doesn't work for this application. Well, we don't object to that, please. I mean, one, yep. one man, two men can only know so many things. So thank you for that. Um, first question I have for us from the audience today, Steve, is uh, what are the best ways to keep on top of news on the road? 
Ham radio, police scanner, other than AM, FM, what are we not thinking of? I'm going to lead off and say my number one means of communication and the thing that I always rely on and I make sure it's always charged and there's a way to charge it again and then there's a way to charge it again is my cell phone. Yep, your smartphone. Yep, absolutely. You have you got to have uh, two car chargers. What I do is I'd have a splitter for my car charger in the car and I'd have two uh, DC outlet to... USB chargers, and I like my USB chargers to have four USB outputs on them. And today, in 2018, you should have at least one USB-C connection and three regular USB connections on there, and you should have one USB Qualcomm called QC 3.0 charging port. That will charge your phone up to 18 watts, and there's usually one of them on a car charger. But two is one, one is none. If you got uh, a total of six to eight ports, that means you can power your kids' cell phones and tablets as they're in the back seat. You can power your cell phone or tablet as you're in the front seat. Your wife or whomever can be sitting there next to you doing the navigation. They can be on the on different websites, looking up different information. You're stuck in traffic. They might as well be on the tablet or on the phone getting information saying, hey, we can go here. It's only five miles away. Or it's like, God, the traffic's going to be horrible for 12 hours. I mean, we might as well pull over in a parking lot and, and stay there overnight, then get up at 3 a.m. and you know start tra- traveling more. Uh, the smartphone data with a data plan, you know, don't worry about busting your cap if you're bugging out. Bust it, use it, get it, do whatever you have to. Uh, you can actually call up AT&T and Verizon and say, hey, uh, I, want, I need a larger data plan for a month. And they'll put you on like a 24-gig plan instead of a 10-gig plan. And you can use this when you're bugging out. Then you get all the Netflix you want. Yeah, I would agree. I, I have taken a little bit different of approach on the chargers. Um, I have really settled on a brand called Anchor, A-N-K-E-R. Love them, love them, love them. They have, it's only a two-port uh, charger, but it's 24 watts, and it is a badass little $10 charger, and I've paired up that with the with their Astro E7, which is like a 26,000-something milliamp uh, backup charger. And what I do is I keep that thing, I have one in each car, I have a power cord running from that charger to that backup pack, and then the other port is used when you get in to plug your phone in. That means you always have the ability to charge. Like, like an iPhone 7, I think it'll charge it like seven times if you have to leave your car. And it's always there and it's always charged. So that's kind of the approach I've taken. Um, I think Anchor has some four ports. I love Anchor as a brand. You won't go wrong with them. Uh, Jack said it's A-N-K-E-R. I go through T-SPAS and go to Amazon. Uh, Anchor is very good. Uh, however, um, I will not own a USB charger uh, for a car unless it's got four ports on it, and one of them is QC 3.0. You got the new iPhone, Jack, which I think is QC 3.0 compatible. No, I still have a 7. You still have the 7? Well, I'm going to get you a QC 3.0 charger and send it to you, Okay. and you are going to be frigging in love. I mean, charging at a full 18 watts, 9 volts at 2 amps. 
man, does that my Galaxy S8 charges in like 35 minutes. It, it's the only way to end. As far as Stephen Harris on batteries, Jack's Anchor battery is excellent, okay? Better than par for course. It's Anchor, but it's only got four LED lights on it to say 25, 50, 7,500. Right now, I will only buy a battery pack. Believe me, I buy a lot of battery packs, guys. Wait to see my new video. I buy uh, my battery packs I get and test, and I recommend and give to other people. I'll only buy them if they got a three-digit display telling me the actual percentage. And I'll only buy them if they have at least one QC 2.0 or Quick Charge uh, 3.0, QC 3.0 port on them. And I want them to have a USB-C, as in Charlie, for both fast charge in and out. And I prefer them to have uh, Apple Lightning and micro USB in at the same time. I do have some batteries that do take that. And this is the way things are going as of February 2018. So when you're looking at battery packs, nothing wrong with jacks. It's awesome. You know, better to by far better to have that than to have nothing. And you darn well better have a battery for your phone, okay? I can literally run my phone for an entire week off of a 20,000 milliamp hour battery. An entire week, and I've done it. Nothing but off of the battery. That's talking and texting and surfing. You must have a USB battery, period. I agree. Let's let's keep moving though. Um, so some of the other things we need to think about um, with that phone, things like ways for navigation, mm -hmm. uh, Google Maps, things like that, obviously. Uh, but you mentioned in your notes Red Cross websites to find shelters. Yes, yes, Red Cross will help you find shelters. Um, there's other Ready.gov resources, and I hate Ready.gov, but Red Cross has shelter finders on it, and you know. If the thing is, we'll talk about in a little bit about bug out trailers. Is you're at a Red Cross shelter and you got a, your dog or cat with you, they won't let that in. But you might be able to go into the sh you can not might be able to you can go in the shelter and you can get food and you can get some snacks and you probably some free clothes and use the bathrooms and there might be showers and everything. Then you can go back to your bug out trailer with your dog and cat and your family. So a red, going to a Red Cross shelter doesn't mean you're in the shelter all the time, sleeping with everyone on the cots. You could be on your bug-out trailer. The other thing for uh, keeping on the air, I mentioned it in an expert panel thing. In Puerto Rico, everything was ripped down. No AM, no FM, no TV, no weather radar. Sirius XM radio in your vehicle was the only thing people had to find out what was going on in the world. Also, uh, small portable uh, 12 volt uh, TVs, like seven inch and five inchers and nine inchers, for picking up local broadcast when you're going down the road. The local, if you're evacuating from a hurricane like Harvey, the news stations are going to be all Harvey all the time, all hurricane all the time, and you'll be able to see the weather radar and hear what's going on and all the latest stuff. So a small TV makes great sense for you. Of course, you know, news talk radio, AM or FM. 
But, yeah, and uh, I want to say something about that because the, the person asking the question pretty much was like, well, except other than that. And I, I think we should have a plan to use that because you mentioned Puerto Rico. This is mm -hmm. the exception, not the rule. Puerto Rico is also an island, right? Like yep. you, The reason that was a problem is because it's a relatively small geographic area that you cannot leave with a car. We're talking about bug-out trailers, and I don't think anybody here plans on doing like a rickshaw thing with their trailer. So you're planning on leaving, and the odds that we're going to be going through a scenario where you can't drive to a place and get more information from conventional radio is is pretty low. But I love the Cirrus suggestion because, yeah. you know, barring, I don't know, the the end of the world because of a what cosmic ray or something, and it won't matter that because you're fried, that's going to work. Yes, and Sirius XM Radio has uh, Fox News, Fox Business News, CNN live broadcast, just like you're watching on TV, only it's audio. Um, they have CNBC, they have BBC World News, so you have, a, uh, and they have NPR, so you have a whole selection of everything you could want to listen to uh, for news talk radio from the nationals. You just can't see what they're talking about on TV, but you can hear them, which is 90% of your information anyways. And, of course, ham radio, and I don't want to go too deep into that because that that's, you know, could be 10 shows into itself of all the things yeah. you do with ham radio. But I think one of the things people do need to know is even though you need a license to use it, anybody can listen. But mm -hmm. the time to get the frequencies entered into your little Baofeng or something like that is before, not during a problem, right? You need to have already figured out, like, what repeaters are out there, what to be tuned into, and, and generally speaking, finding somebody that is a ham is not hard to do, and a lot of those guys would be willing to help you program your radio with the understanding you're not supposed to get on there and start jawjacking because, trust me, if you're not a ham and you don't know ham procedure, um, they're going to find you out real quick, and some of those guys, like, take pleasure in hunting people down, uh, the other thing is you have to have a call sign, and anybody can look up a call sign. So if you invent one, it's 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 not a good. So just don't go running your beak on ham radio, other than in an actual legitimate emergency. Yeah, we call it a fox hunt when we go after people, and we have directional antennas that point us in the right direction, and we'll all coordinate and triangulate you, and we'll go right to your house or right <laughs> to your vehicle. They will they will fox hunt you down and uh, write down your license plate and everything and turn you into the FCC. And don't forget, your Baofeng will also work as a police scanner. Absolutely, and I, I love that function. That's why that's one of the main reasons I have one. And then the other thing is back to your smartphone. Uh, there's apps like Fivo Radio Pro is one, the one that I use, and I, I can listen to police scanners all over the country. Uh, anything from my local Fort Worth Sheriff's Department to what LAPD is doing. And, uh, yeah, that's something – and that's that app is free, and I think the premium version is like $4.99. And yep. I think I paid the $4.99 to get the ads out of my face, and it seemed to work a little bit more stable. Worth every penny. Worth every penny. I have 5.0 on my phone. There are other uh, scanner apps. Some are free. They're all of different qualities. As Jack says, make sure you play with it before you need it, and you know – you know it well when you need it. Okay, moving on. Jack and Steve, if I have to leave home, what are some of the best places I can go to bug out to? Most people think of the country and the woods, but there has to be some other creative places. James in Kentucky. What say you, Steve? Well, as um, one of my good friends, Dave, said, you might be bugging out to your driveway or to your backyard. Um, 
I'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, also, a friend's house. Let's say I was in Texas and was like, I was in the Houston area. I'd call up Jack and say, hey, Jack, can I go bring my truck and trailer to your west pasture? You know, I'm self-sufficient. He's like, sure, Steve, come on up for a week and, you know, get the hell, heck away from the flooding and everything else. Um, also, you just might go to a different street within your city that's not being affected by the flood. Um, maybe a different city. There is um, lots of places you can go that you don't think of. The parking lot of Red Cross or FEMA shelter we talked about, you can go be in the parking lot and still get the food, the toilet, the facilities, the showers, maybe some, spa, some power, and you got your own spot outside. And you don't have to be with everyone on the cots on the inside. And if you're just on the highways, like the highway's clogged up, you turn off, you find yourself in some empty country, you find some uh, open land that you can drive onto, it's not posted, everything else, just pull over there in the country. Uh, a friend's farm or a friend with a lot of land, go to their place. Um, then there's the parking lots, which a lot of people think of. We all know about Walmart parking lots. They love to have people come be there, although they don't really want you to camp there as in get your chairs out and sit around. But if you're Harvey evacuating, I, I, don't, I think they'll, they'll tolerate it. But uh, there's church parking lots, school parking lots, Home Depot parking lots, uh, any big area. If you're scared about crime or something, Go park near the police station. Park in the end of their parking lot. Uh, some of them have pretty big lots, and the cop comes by and says, what are you doing? Say, we're evacuating, and we're scared of crime, and we have all we need. We just need to stay here overnight. Or do you know of a safe place we can go? And the cop will say, you know, have a good night. You know, he'll run your plate, make sure you're a good, good guy. But um also, Jack, have you heard about the stories of evacuating Houston after Harvey? I've heard a lot of stories about it. <laughs> I mean, tons of them. So what, what particular do you mean? <laughs> Ho uh, the hotels all oh, the, yeah. were full all the way to Dallas. We had, we, yeah, we had no hotels available in Dallas. Uh, over here on my side of the Metroplex, it was kind of funny, actually. There was hotels available over here. Not like all the ones that you could ever want in the world, but there, you know, there was a vacancy here or there that could be picked up, and it was, it was kind of amusing that people would drive that far and not just, you know, take 35W instead of 35E when they got to the split, you know. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a great point, and it brings up a point I have actually, though. Like, if you have a trailer that's made for camping, right, which yep. is basically what a bug out trailer is, the best place you could be would be in a campground made for camping and for hooking up a trailer to water and electrical and all that stuff. Yep. And I know what people are going to say. Well, you know, you'll, you'll never get in because that. Well, here's the thing. All those people that got in, they got in. Remember, remember office space with Milton and the piece of cake? Mm -hmm. The only reason Milton didn't get a piece of cake is he ended up last. Right? right. If Milton would have took the first piece of cake, ignored the fat lady, and walked away, he would have had cake. Right? Yep. So... One of the best shows I think I ever did early on was about bug-out planning and documentation. Yes. And one of the things I said in there is you should have three routes to three different places, and the other thing you should have is contact information, friends, family, all that stuff, great, but hotels and campgrounds. Because yeah. if you're the person 
that as soon as Harvey started rolling in or Irma started rolling in says, how far do I got to go? Where's the nearest state, et cetera, private campground available? You already have that number right there in your documentation. You pick that up and say, I want to make a reservation. I'm not guaranteeing it because it could be Memorial Day weekend you're bugging out. I don't know. But if anybody's getting in, you're getting in. And that is that is a level of like pragmatic preparedness that people forget about. Because I've yeah. had people like, oh, you're going to be a survivalist and check into the Radisson. You're damn right I am. And I'm going to yeah. sit there and drink a beer or a martini and eat a steak and watch your ass out in the rain. That's what I'm going to do. So having those connections ready to go and being ready to act on them, very, very – we did this totally a different way, but we just altered our vacation plans. I was going on vacation while Irma was hitting Florida. Guess where we were supposed to go? Fort Myers. Oh, wow. crap. So we had trip insurance. So, yeah, I sat on a first-class aircraft – And drank a Bloody Mary in the morning and went to the Carolinas instead of Florida, right? Oh, I mean, that's there's there's no there's nothing wrong with that. I know everybody wants to be out in the in in the bush with a compass and and orienteering or something, but in the end, you know, planning for your comfort and your family's comfort is what it's all about. Well, that also brings up VRBO and HomeAway and Airbnb. Who says you can't be bugging out and be on Airbnb and find a house two hours away that you can rent a whole darn house, and you pull <laughs> up to it with your bug-out trailer with your food and everything, and you got a house with hot and cold, running water, showers, bathrooms. You got your food and your emergency supplies, and it's like, Okay, here's my temporary home. I'm, you, you know, I'm comfortable. You know what? I'm going to have to redo that whole show. I, I, just when you said that, I realized that I did that show nine and a half years ago, Steve. Mm -hmm. Nine and a half. There are so many things available today yep. that were not available when I put that together. Yep. That actually needs to be revamped. So some of the things you have here, too, like from Bob Wells, who's one of our favorite YouTubers, things like BLM land, National Forest, et cetera, like – You don't have to be camping ground. Like National Forest, pretty much can, anybody can go anywhere as long as you don't violate any of the rules or mess stuff up. So there's all types of places like that that you could be aware of. You know what one of Bob Wells' favorite places is that everyone goes, oh, I never thought of that, is a hospital parking lot. Hmm. There is all classes of social economic people walking in and out of uh, hospitals on a daily basis. They're going in in business suits to see people. They're going in in coveralls. I mean, and... Um, Translation, nobody sticks out. Yeah, no one sticks out. And guess what? They got a cafe, and they yeah. got bathrooms. Yeah, they usually have a McDonald's right next to the cardiac wing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, good point, good point. Rest areas, you, you say they're not that great. I agree, but there's, like you said, there's some, in your notes, there's some, the big rest areas, like... I, I hated New Jersey in every way possible when I had to travel through there for my job with Fluke, except right. for the rest areas. Right. Big, massive rest areas in the middle of the highway, not off to one side. Restaurants, cafes, everything. That type of area, I would have no problem holding up at for at least a day to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I think that's, that leads to another thing. Like When you're bugging out, you might need to stop and figure out what you're going to do next. So you don't necessarily need the place to set up camp for the next three days or three weeks. You might just need a day or half a day. And I think that's something people have to be prepared for, too, is like you, the, the stress you'll be under if you have to do this, 
Because not only are you worried about keeping everything together, keeping the kids safe, keeping the wife happy, the dogs, the cats, whatever, you're also thinking, what the hell's happening to my house? Yeah. And the psychological effect of that yeah. is massive. And you can tell yourself you have insurance and everything, but, you know, we love our homes or we wouldn't live there, right? At least right. I hope you. So there's so many things you'll be worried about. And I think that, like, once you're out of direct harm's way, if you can find a place, take a freaking break. We actually had to tell some of our responders that that were going into disaster areas during Harvey with CAC <laughs> because they were going to kill themselves. They were going to yep. work themselves to death. Yeah, we, we had to take a day off. It's like, everyone, things are changing. We're moving from providing food and water to providing brooms and bleach. Things are changing. Everyone, take a day off. Stop. Just let everything change. We'll see where it settles tomorrow. You know, go and buy some food for your host. They're at, you know, they're at a safe haven house, a host. Someone is hosting them. You know, go out, see if you can find some steaks and some stuff for the barbecue. Bring it all back with some charcoal and everything and say, hey, guys, we want to thank you. Uh, we brought everything for a barbecue. Why don't you guys sit down? We're going to cook for you. You know, and I kind of said as a joke earlier when I'm going to be sitting there drinking a martini, but I'll tell you what. When you're in a situation like that, if you, if you put together a nice bug-out trailer, you have a way to cook it all, sitting down and eating a steak and having mm-hmm. a cold beer, a sense of normalcy while, while your whole world is, is being torn apart, that's a huge thing to the psychological survival because that's a big part of this. Like Physical survival isn't really that hard. Psychological survival, that's, that's a completely different animal you know, where you actually are able to have the right frame of mind that when everything's over and you go back home, you can start putting things back together instead of sitting there for two to three weeks in a worn-out depression. Yeah. Anyway, I want to keep rolling with this. So you have a ton of suggestions on this that would take up the whole hour if we did it all. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to break out whatever part of your notes. That, and guys, Steve has been doing a great job keeping the notes on this with all your suggestions, and I'll cut that piece out into its own separate text file, what we've used for today, and I'll do it as an attachment to the episode. So if people want to see all of that stuff, they can. Oh, yeah, let me tell you, we talk about parking structures, RV camping grounds, truck stops in detail, uh, parking in front of strangers' house, uh, construction site, they got porta-potties. Yeah. Uh, even for you apartment dwellers, you going to another city where you got a storage locker full of emergency supplies, that's good for you apartment dwellers. Um, bugging out to someone else's garage, oh, we got a... Jackson, go get the list that Jackson going to put up because yeah. it's long. Yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, I, I looked at that. We can't cover it all. Anyway, like, so the next question is one I've actually done whole episodes on. Jack and Steve, when should I bug out and when should I bug in? Ben in Florida. Now, you actually had a swing on this because you weren't big on the whole bug out thing when we first met. No. You were like, how the hell would you leave? And you got all your stuff here. And I'm like, what if your house burns down? You're like, oh, yeah, that 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 would do it. Yeah. <laughs> That'd do it. Or there's an earthquake and your house falls down on your head, but you got out before it fell on your head and now you're looking at a flat house. Like these are these are things that actually do happen or forest fires are coming. And the fire department says, "Yeah, you know what? We're trying really hard, but it's it, it's not happening." And that happened this last year, right? They yeah. they just said, "Look, guys, We've done what we can. We're pushing brakes. We're fighting it back, but it's going to get here. Your yep. house is going to burn down. We can't save it. So there's reasons to go, but I've always summarized it this way. When your odds of safety and survival are increased by staying put, stay put, 
Mm-hmm. When your odds of safety and survival are increased by leaving, leave. Mm-hmm. And, and you could come up with a bunch of different things, and you've got some good ones to talk about, but in the end, that's what you make the decision on. Yeah, basically, um, Jack you know, educated me. He's in tornado country. People down there, you'll have 15, 20 minutes of, of warning of a tornado on the ground. They'll show you the track, and it's like, crap, that's coming from my house. You guys will hop in your car and you'll leave because you don't yeah. have you don't have a basement. Well, they always say that go to your go to your tornado safe space. Okay, well, every house in this freaking state is built with no interior rooms and no basement. They right. say go to an interior. Every single house down here is an open concept house. There's no interior rooms, right? right? There's no basements because between clay and rock, I guess that's that's the excuse anyway. I so I mean, if I ever build a house from the ground up, I probably won't. I'll probably this is probably where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. If I ever built a house. I don't care what they say. I'd put a basement in, but we don't have one. So you're exactly right. Now, there's spin-ups times when you don't have time, but if you're weather aware, a lot of times you will. You'll know, okay, I don't know if this tornado's going to get here, but if it's going to get here, it's going to take the next 20 minutes to get here. And I don't know if it'll change course, but I know one thing. I know it's not going to make a, a, you know, a complete right-hand turn and go 20 miles south of here on a right-hand turn. So if I right. go down there... Then I'm going to be now. Here's the other thing. We have that sounds like a good plan. Right up until we have an outbreak, mm-hmm. and there's a tornado here, and a tornado here, and a tornado here, and a tornado there. So now the you're back to the. It's not the individual disaster. It's the situation. Okay. So now there's unpredictability. I'm better off taking cover at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and you're always in that scenario. There's flooding, but maybe there's there's a, a potential for flash flooding. And I live 200 feet higher than most of the surrounding area. I'm not going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the approach you have to take. Yep. Uh, floods, forests and plains fires, tsunamis, big hurricane coming, a train crash with a chemical release. Um, something happens to your house. You got a fire or a tree falls in it. A broken pipe on the second floor with lots of water damage. Um, if you got if your toilet and your shower and your electricity is working in your house, I can stay next to my house in my in my trailer and sleep there just fine while they're working on my house and fixing it. I don't have to like go to a hotel and everything else. I can stay on my own property nice and comfortable while things are being fixed. Yeah, I agree. I, there's one thing that I've I've always kind of recommended to be considered. It's not something I've ever done when I did have an RV, but I, it is worth considering. If you live in an area where the probability of something like a, a tornado wiping out your house is somewhat high, it is worth at least considering getting you know secure storage for your trailer mm-hmm. and locating it somewhere else. Else, not so that not way. That. Not yeah, right. Like that does not mean five five blocks down the road, right? That means across town, you know, you know, uh, uh, two towns over, like they used to say up home or something like that. So that because then the odds that you're going to get wiped out, both of those are pretty low. So if your t- house gets the roof ripped off it, you go pick your trailer up, you bring it home, and yep. you live there while your house gets fixed. Yep. So you don't end up like the poor guy we had on the air. He had a house fire. I don't know if you remember this. Dude. This guy had a house fire. The insurance company came out, got him into a hotel in Austin. Go get a hotel. Just it's all okay. They had workers coming in to like make sure the last of the fire was out, board up the windows. They stole 
his stuff that was still good. The workers boarding up the windows stole his shit in the middle of the aftermath of a fire. Oh, God. And he was like, if, if I ever had anybody go through this and you have people there doing work like that, don't leave until they do. Right. Do not. They see like his washer and dryer were still usable. They stole it. Oh, God. So being able to be on site, you know, in the aftermath of something, especially an individual, I don't, like, looting is a problem, period, right, in a, in a hurricane or something. But in an individual disaster, you have people that, that end up there very quickly as responders. And, you know, I, I pretty much trust the average police officer in that situation, the average fireman in that situation. Yep. But the contractor that got hired as a day laborer two days ago, you have, there's, it's not that I don't trust individuals, but I have no reason to trust that one, especially after what I've heard from multiple people. Yeah, who's going to question a contractor moving a washer and dryer in and out of a trailer out of a house without a roof? He's just going to think it's you know someone saving stuff out of the house yeah. before the house. Is, it, 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 um, no. They got their little vest on and they got the road hat. signs out yeah. and the hat. Yeah. I mean, they look like they're you know doing the right. Maybe it's a chemical spill. Who knows? Yeah, I mean that's so. Just be careful with that. I'd say another thing you could consider is if you have a really good friend or family, and let's say they have a larger place, like like you know I have three acres and I have a brother-in-law who has a little bitty four-bedroom house in you know, suburban hell, as I call it. If he wanted to do this and said, "Hey Jack, can I can I park your trailer, my trailer at your property, and and you know just come get it whenever I need it?" Sure, as long as I'm not responsible for it, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it, because that would let's say that we something went wrong with his house. Then he didn't have to bring the trailer; he just shows up and, and moves into his trailer. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know. So that I think that's a, a good plan too. Uh, but there's a lot of times when you know bugging out is the right choice. But I, I think it always comes down to. What increases your odds of safety, comfort, and survival? And that's, um, what, that's, what, that's what this show is about, bug-out trailers. Yeah. So this next question, Steve and Jack, my bug-out trailer could have a lot of time and money put into it. How can I prevent it from getting stolen? Gee, <laughs> that sounds really familiar to what we just talked about. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say, uh, Steve? Well, some people have some creative ones. They, you know, they got a generator and they got an air compressor, so... Uh, they're going to take their tires off and put the uh, trailer up on blocks. <laughs> you know, no tires. <laughs> the trailer's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think one of the big risks that we have now is it's like one of the greatest tools ever invented until it's used for evil. When, when uh, angle grinders uh, went cordless, yep. the, the number of uh, shipping containers broken into, I think, went up exponentially overnight. Yep. So... That one of the things is trying to prevent them from getting inside, but if somebody gets inside, they can only take so much stuff. If they can get your whole trailer, you know, that's... And there's people that'll do that. They don't even have to know it's a bug-out trailer. They just know it's a trailer. Yep. So I, I like your idea. You also said you can lock your tires together with a cable. Yep. I always did that with my boat. You did? Uh, I always did that with my boat trailer. Uh, when I would park in the uh, parking lot of, uh, like, a place where I was going fishing... Mm-hmm. I always realize, like, when you take a trailer off a boat or a boat off the boat trailer, one person could just pick it up. Yep. So, yeah, you got a lock on it. But I would also cable the, uh, the, the tires together. And the reason I did that wasn't because the same tool can't be used to get rid of that lock. Two locks instead of one. If I'm going to steal something, this one takes longer. Yeah, and right? what we're talking about is if you got two axles, you, you, know, you can go through the, the, wheel, the wheels uh, uh, behind, around the, under, inside the tires. You can put your hand in there. So what you do is you take a cable lock, you run a cable 
through one wheel, back through the other wheel, and around the front, and you lock them together. That way, if you try to roll the uh, the trailer, <laughs> the wheels they, they don't stop. turn. Yeah, you know, they don't <laughs> turn. <laughs> yeah. You can also get uh, wheel boots. You know those big, horrible wheel boots they put on your car for parking enforcement when you're yeah. a bad person. Those are on Amazon. They're only like sixty some bucks. Wait a minute. I could buy my own boot. Yep, you can buy your own. Oh, good God. David Siegler's hearing that right now. And the potential for evil going through his mind. <laughs> uh, so, so you could boot your buddy. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ah, but it works, right? I mean, and, and I think one thing about security is like, so every single thing that you do for security is about slowing down and making the theft less profitable higher risk versus reward ratio for the thief because every means can be in some way overcome. Yep. Yeah, there's little things. The old-fashioned way is there's a lock that goes through the hole on your hitch, and it prevents you from lifting up to the part that lets the shackle back, that lets the hitch go down on top of the ball. So you can lock that up, but that can be cut. But that's at least someone won't be able to just hook it up to a car and leave. Uh, there's something called a RAM coupler lock, R-A-M coupler lock, on Amazon, go through T-SPAS, ultra high security. This is a big hunk of steel. It's bolt cutter proof because it takes one of those hockey puck locks from Master, and it's in its own little metal cage with only one little place to put the key, and there's nothing to cut with a pair of bolt cutters. You'd have to be very serious half hour of angle grinding to do this. And it goes on the front hitch of your trailer, and it's like 120 bucks. but they're not driving off quickly with your trailer. Uh, there's also things that you can add to your tongue of your trailer that's designed to let it fold away, so better for storage, which might be a good thing for some of you. Uh, it's called a removable trailer tongue or a folding trailer tongue. You can actually take a folding trailer tongue, remove the second pin, and remove the entire tongue. So there's just a piece of metal there that you can't hook up to. Well, and you can do some really simple things, too. Like, So my dad used to have this cargo trailer, and in our neighborhood, it started to get to where people were you know, going through sheds and trailers just to see whatever they could steal. And he kept a bunch of tools and stuff in it, so obviously that's, that's thief nirvana, because you can take tools to any pawn shop and get money for them. So they love to steal tools. So all he did, we had this really big-ass oak tree. Mm -hmm. He just backed the trailer all the way up to the oak tree and locked the wheels up like we were talking about. Oh, I chained love the, it. Chained the wheels to the tree. So to get into the trailer, you got to cut the tree down. <laughs> you, you, there's just no room to open the trailer. So you could do that with a building or just, you know, get good at backing up, you know, or get one of those hand backup trucks like we talked about last time. Yep. Um, and you backed it right up again. His CD just backed it up to the oak tree, took a cable, ran it through both tires, put the cable around the back of the oak tree, and chained it to the oak tree. All right, that's and brilliant. That's sure, brilliant. You, can, you can get in there with bolt cutters and all, but again, you're slowing people down long enough for the dog to bite them. That's, I mean, that's my philosophy. <laughs> if it slows you down long enough that Charlie and Lucy get a beat on you, my problems are not going to be very big. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and at worst, your dog's going to be barking. That's the other yeah. thing. If your dog is barking... Go look to see what it's barking at. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'll tell you what else to do. If you're a beekeeper, throw one of your hives out by your trailer and put a <laughs> hit, put put a hidden cable from the door. To, 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 like when they go to open a door, it's going to knock the hive over. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> right, that that'll fix their shit. Because right? <laughs> <That's laughs> I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that are not afraid of one angry bee. Everybody is afraid of twenty thousand angry bees. Right? I mean, it's you know, just you know. Or you can just put a beehive out there and have a little speaker inside going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you said, you know, car alarm. Yeah. You know, you put in your notes. I think that's a good idea, too. Um, when I was really young and didn't have any money and I was worried about people stealing, like, a, a car stereo out of my crappy car, I found this little car alarm. I doubt they make them anymore. But it's back when everybody had a cassette deck. Yeah. And it shoved in like a cassette, and there was a key that went in it, and it locked into the face of the radio. And if you moved the car too much or moved it, it started this, like, being, being, and, like, the first time I set it off, I was like, uh, that's all it does? And it does that, like, five times. And then it goes into, like, this, like, supersonic squealing scream. And what I realized at that moment is the biggest reason burglar alarms work is because they freak you out. Right. Because it was my alarm in my car, and I was looking around like, is somebody going to think I'm stealing it, right? Mm-hmm. And it also was loud as hell and scared the shit out of me. So I think any time, like, you, I think you said something about you could maybe make your own alarm uh, or your own tra- B-trap. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, and I've also found, like, our office, in, uh, our office in Arkansas, I had a thing on there instead of, like, no trespassing or whatever in the window. Yeah. I, I had a thing up there that said venomous reptiles kept on premises. <laughs> I, you know, the, the, all I know is the, the one on the other end of the strip got broken into once and mine didn't. I don't, I'm not saying that's what did it, but, uh, you know, it, people don't like snakes. I know. Uh, no, or 20,000 20, angry beasts. How about this? Jack and Steve, what can we add that will, will add quality to our bug out experience with our trailers? Frank in Nebraska. Well, um, see, places you're going to escape to are basically going to be outdoor environments. So you got a smaller medium trailer full of totes. You bug out to a camping ground, National Forest, BLM, pull out your totes, pull the fuel out, the generator out. You set up the sleeping area in the trailer. You're going to have your kitchen outside. So any folding or pop-up tables for the kitchen or eating, uh, if they don't have a picnic table for you, uh, look for these things on sale and on clearance. They're at Walmart, Costco, and Sam's folding tables. Three-footers that fold out to be six-footers. Uh, when you're going through Walmart and it's the wrong time of the season, it's uh, getting into fall and winter, and they got tents, big family tents on clearance, uh, grab one of those because even if you got a bug-out trailer, a tent is a little playground for the kids to go be in and be in their own little environment and out of the weather and have their own little private spot. Well, and we talked about thieves, right? So I'm all about the You and I are on the same exact page with the black and yellow totes. Those are the the best ones to keep water out. They stack, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But if you have a big stack full of totes and you're in an area where lots of people are bugging out to, I wouldn't be incredibly shocked if one of your totes disappeared. And put them in the tent. Put them in the tent. It's not... A bank vault, but it's a little more obvious that you're trying to steal, and then that makes it a little less likely that it's a little less. You know, you can't just walk by and grab it and keep going, and, and then pretend. Oh, I thought 
I'm sorry. I thought we we were working with relief. You know, because people will do stuff like that. Yep. So plus, out of sight, out of mind, they won't see yep. the totes in the, in the tent. For all they know, there's a guy sleeping in there with a 357 Magnum in his lap, right? Oh. So they're less likely to stick their head in there. Yeah, I mean that's so. Yeah, you've got additional shelter and all. I think that's a, a really great point. I'm big on what I call the uh, the pallet deck, which you get a couple good quality oak pallets. Yeah. Add some more decking to them. They fold up. They can go on the roof. They can go inside. They go whatever. And then that way, when you get where you're going, and you have that area between inside and outside, you have that entry space. You're not bringing mud in, things like that. You also have a, you've kind of created a much more comfortable outdoor space with it. I love that. That's an easy. That's a real easy, good idea. Just put some half inch plywood on it. Yeah. Just just check behind your Walmart. Actually, Walmart is actually the hardest place to get them to give you pallets from. But pretty much most other stores, you know, a lot of those guys, like my dad's in that business. That's what he does is, is pallet recycling. Uh, and they'll have guys like that, that, like they save them for. But if you want one, they'll give you one. And what yep. you're looking for is you want the one that, that that is in really good shape, and even though it's heavy, you want an oak one. You get right. an oak, oak pallet, you throw some exterior-grade half-inch plywood on it. Unless you, like, set it in a fire pit or leave it out in the rain constantly it will probably last as long as you do yeah other good things to keep an eye on on sale are pop-up canopies you know that keeps the sun and the rain off you put it over the picnic table uh folding camping chairs very comfortable often on sale and on clearance uh anything that makes sitting more comfortable get uh a, a bucket a bug tent just a screened in tent to put around your eating area so you're not bugged by mosquitoes and insects when you're outside trying to eat uh, or things constantly trying to bite you. That'll work. There are little pop-up shelters. Uh, they're kind of vertical. They're for uh, toilets and for showers. So you might be going to the bathroom in a hole that you dug and you're sitting on your makeshift throne. But if you're inside this little pop-up shelter, at least it's private, and bring extra toilet paper and wet wipes for you, but don't put wet wipes in porta-potties. Absolutely. Uh, magnetic uh, bug screens, the ones they used to sell on TV, that makes it easy to go in and out of the trailer and to keep the bugs out. I'd basically say um, folding things to sit on, uh, flat in, inflatable stuff to lay on, Folding stuff to put stuff on, stuff you can be in, like a tent for the kids or the bug or the picking table, an uh, easy way to wash your hands, and consider bringing plenty of plastic and paper plates and forks and spoons so you just use it and dispose of it. You don't have to spend time or water cleaning up, washing dishes, etc., yeah, I'll add to this. I'm not big on one-trick ponies with anything. I'm big into function stacking. I want things to do multiple things. When we're talking about building a trailer out to this level, you're talking about an investment somewhere between four and $10,000. You could do it for less if you just basically had a trailer to carry stuff, right, and you weren't making it. But you would say four to $10,000 to build something that you would sleep in, you know, to get your trailer shell and, and if all the stuff that you would use to build it, supplies that would go in it. If somebody said to me, well, I want to build one of these trailers. I'm willing to spend five, six grand on this trailer. And the only reason I'm building this trailer is in case I have to bug out. 
Mm-hmm. I would say, this is what I want you to do then. I want you to take $5,000 and go put it in a bank account, a separate bank account, and call it the in-case-I-have-to-leave-home bank account. Mm-hmm. And never touch it and go stay at the Radisson when you have to bug out. Yeah. Like, like, don't do this just as a bug-out trailer. So if you want to know what's going to make you comfortable, build a camping trailer, load up the kids, fill the cooler full of Cokes, go out to the lake, fish. You'll have fun whether you catch fish or not. Buy some fish in the store so you can cook it even if you don't catch any. Cook, camp, spend a weekend, and then come home and say, what would have made our experience better? Right. And then tighten that up. And then, you know, a couple weeks, a couple months later, load the kids up again, load the wife up, load the dog up, go camping. Yes. And, and go use it. Yes. As, or if you are a person that travels for business, then figure out on your short trips, does this make more sense? And I'll tell you, when I used to work for MCI as a contractor, I snapped to this real quick. I put a, just a, a camper shell on my uh, pickup truck, mm-hmm. and it was a lot cheaper for me to spend a little bit of my per diem and get a campsite when I was in Houston, let's say, for a week, than it was to get a regular hotel room. I had a shower. It was a much nicer environment, honestly. Mm-hmm. I went fishing after work. Right. So if I had even if I had thought this way back then, it would have been very probable that I would have built something like this. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you're being into preparedness anyways. You're storing food and other supplies. Maybe you can't store them in your house. Like, you know, I have a basement. Jack doesn't. So I got places to put all of my preparedness, food and water and everything else. Maybe a trailer is your best solution for storage of your food and water and other supplies for your emergency home preparedness than it is storing it in your house. That's another way to get multiple uses. Like, but that's what I'm saying. Though. You should have some other functionality. Uh, we talked about doing a CoolBot trailer. Yes. And being able to make it like a transformer where you just, okay, we're not using it for that, boom, now we're going down the road. The other thing would be if you have any kind of a business where you do contracting work or something like that that you could use a trailer for. Yes. You can, you can use that trailer, but you can have it where it's almost, you know, almost instantly transformable into something that is more akin to what you would use as a bug-out trailer. Yes. So I, I think but you've got to, if you're going to spend this kind of money, you've got to get more out of it than just, well, if the shit is the fan, right? My number one rule, everything you do to prepare for disasters and emergencies should benefit your life in some way, even if nothing goes wrong. Right. So if it, if it doesn't pass that sniff test, don't do it. Hey, when I got poor after 9-11, uh, I left Chrysler. I went independent and started consulting uh, in the fuel cell and the hydrogen and solar business, not solar electric, solar thermal. And I was doing okay. I was consulting. I had a lot of contacts. 9-11 happened. It was just national distraction. And uh, I had to go install direct TVs just to pay my mortgage, which was pretty straightforward and easy. I was the most overqualified direct TV installer. <laughs> but uh, I ended up eating my own food storage. Man, I love making biscuits. And I would make some of the meanest biscuits. And uh, I ate my own food storage. It supplemented my food. I made bread. I made biscuits. I made eight other things. And, you know, you just never know. That food and water and everything, that can be unemployment insurance for you easily. Very, Absolutely. Very, very easily. Absolutely. So let's, let's go on from there. Jack and Steve, bugging out could be dangerous with looters and thieves seeing your camp as a place for food and water. Uh, what are some smart ideas for security and defense? Anonymous in Arizona. 
I love the anonymous part. Anonymous, yeah. It's like if saying John in Arizona is not anonymous. Oh, uh, we know who you are now, John. <laughs> yeah. I think we might know who wrote this anyways. Yeah. Wink, wink, yeah. nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah. Now, just, just as an aside, John is what I call my slave name. Right, my, my actual name is John. Right, right, but right. like Jack right. Kennedy, John Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. You're see so one of the people I don't have to explain that to. No, no, no. no. So I, many people. I, I heard you. I heard you. Oh, what are you? Good lord, have you lived under a rock or what? You know. <laughs> but the slave name line comes from one of my favorite stupid movies, Malibu's Most Wanted. Um, but it's but as an aside, like uh, back to the question, what what are some of your thoughts on this for security? Okay, I was talking with I talked with some of my friends about this. You know, I I got a good circle of really cool guys who are really experienced people and have done lots of stuff. And I I run some of the stuff by them, and they go, "Dude, you got to have a fire guard. You got to have a night watch. You got you got to be up for two hours. You got to take turns staying up with a gun and everything else because, I mean." You, between you and your dog, it's like no one's going to get close. And it's like, hey, you, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, nothing, just walking through. Keep walking. So you actually have a night guard. And if you can bug out with other people, TSP is the big community. You know, if you're leaving Houston because of Harvey, and it's like you guys can meet up in caravan, then if one of you gets a flat tire, all four of you pull over, get out your jacks, Fix the tire real quick, and you know, some people have battery-powered, um, uh, not screwdrivers, what are they, oh, I'm thinking of, impact wrenches, and, you know, for taking off of um, lug bolts and everything, it's like, oh, my, t- my spare tire's flat, <laughs> I got a compressor, so do I, so do I, why don't you have one, I'm stupid, <laughs> you know, so you can all help each other and get back on the road and get going, and when you pull up into a Walmart, you can, like, put your vehicles two by two or in a little circle or whatever you want, and you got enough people that you can take time to stay up at night with a gun hidden and, and, and keep an eye on all your stuff and what's going on. You just don't know what's going on. The other thing, uh, another buddy of mine says, he goes, I keep my pistol in a paint can. Like a gallon, like a gallon, a gallon paint can, and it, yeah. it's and, and actually a gallon paint can is not a bad thing to keep some free uh, dried food in either. They're they're cheap. They're at Home Depot. They're air they're airtight. And I'll just real quick as an aside, I, I'll have to look it up. I don't remember the company now. There is a company that makes it's a gold looking coating that's USDA food grade internal coating on paint cans. Yes. I can't remember the name of the company, but but that's just that's available for to me. You, you line it with a bag and you're done. But <laughs> yeah, so if you got a spare pistol you, you want to keep in your bug out trailer, just oil it up real nice and put it into a paint can with some silica gel, and it'll sit there forever. And when you well, go ahead. When you bug out, you got your pistol in your paint can, and it's like, who's going to look at the paint can and go, what do you got that gun for? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you come at this from a good angle, though, because when you start talking about multiple people, guard shifts, you know, firewatch type thing, that's very military. But what you learn in the military is, well, the first thing you do is you, you, you under the circumstances of the mission, you pick a location that's the most secure 
of what's available. Yeah. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about knowing where the hell you're going. So let's say you're my friend mm-hmm. and you're bugging out to my place. Yeah. You don't have security problems. No. You got, you got a three dogs patrol team, right? Yeah. You got a you got a, a place that's fenced in with 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 freaking barbed wire around it. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you if the number one way to improve your security is go to some location that's secure in of itself. Yeah. And, and I think that's like that's the that's not always possible, but that's the ease. That's the always try the easy answer first. And then default to something else if you can't do the easy answer. <laughs> One of the ones that we skipped over that's going to be in the text file for a place to bug out to is your last-ditch bug out in a hurricane or a flood is a, um, a parking structure. It's all, it's all concrete. And think about it. If you pull up into the third floor of a parking structure with your truck and trailer that's empty and there's eight feet of flood water outside, you've got a moat. You're your own island. That's true. Who's going to come? Who's going to come bug you? And now on, on firearms, I mean, I think one of the things you've got to be really careful with: bugging out may mean crossing state lines. Yeah, laws state to state vary greatly uh, with firearms. In Texas, you don't have to have a concealed carry permit to have a loaded gun in your vehicle. Right. You are considered traveling. Uh, and therefore, it is considered a it is is almost the same, not exactly the same, but almost the same as your domicile, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you have a gun under the seat of your car and you're driving up and down the streets in a neighborhood and you get pulled over and you have no reason to be there, there's ways to say that you're not traveling now. So you got to think about what you're doing. But if you if you look at the laws, like gun laws in Pennsylvania are strict, but they ain't got nothing on New Jersey. Right now, I can't. I can't honestly think of a reason that in a bug-out scenario in Pennsylvania I'd ever cross the Delaware River, but I'm just trying to make a point, like, that little move. I found out one time, I went and I did a talk in New Hampshire, like I'm going to go do this week, and um, I, I, I'm doing my talk, and I'm talking about my everyday carry, and so I started saying, I was like, if you say it's everyday carry, that means when I walk up to you and say, let me see it, you can show it to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, one thing I carry is a knife, and I pulled this knife out that I carry, and later after my talk, this girl comes up to me and goes, did you fly in a Logan? I'm like, yeah. She goes, did you get all your stuff out of your luggage? I'm like, yeah. She goes, that knife's a felony in Massachusetts. Wow. Holy crap. And that was like the first time it really hit me. Like, you can't assume anything when you cross a state line. So please, by God, know the laws, you know, in the state that you're bugging out to. And, and that's, a, that's also another call for it. It's almost impossible it's not impossible, but almost impossible. There's not a relatively safe place in your state. And I think if you can, you're better off staying within your own state. Yeah, yeah. Also, there's the other thing is, you know, officers are always looking for intent. What is yeah. your intent? And that's called officer discretion. And it's a huge power the officer has. And if, let's say, you got my 28-foot cargo trailer, and I got a futon and a chair in it and a porta potty and everything else, and let's say the officer comes over just to check on me and see who I am and run my plate, and he, he sees that I got 20 guns in cases, soft cases and hard cases, up in the corner of my trailer. It's like, what are you doing with so many guns? It's like, that's my gun collection. I just left Houston. It's flooded. I'm not leaving my guns behind. He's going to say, oh, okay, 
you know, in this case, I think it might be better for you to have more guns than less guns. You know, they're, yeah, they're cased and unloaded, and you're just transporting them. And again, though, check the laws of the states you're going. I mean, there's, there's a guy that went to prison for 12 years in uh, New Jersey. He had two guns cased in his trunk. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, but they said that he wasn't going. Like, New Jersey law is crazy. Like, you can do that, but you have to be going from one place to another. You have to be Where there's a re yeah. reason to be transporting them from one place to another. Or, so if you're, like, bouncing around to your friend's house and stuff like that. No. Yeah. Yeah, but there is federal law to let you transit New Jersey with a yep. firearm. However, yep. if you stop in New Jersey for the night, then you're subject to New Jersey laws. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. So, so the lesson here is stay out of New Jersey, right? <laughs> and I'm allowed to trash New Jersey because I was born there, right? So uh, anyway, um, I got something on here you love, Jack. You got to cover. Okay, this. you got to okay. you got to cover the pistol and the and the and the carbine having the same caliber. Yeah, I love that. I know you have uh, on my recommendation. I think a Keltec Sub 2K yep. uh, and, and a Glock, a nine millimeter Glock, and they take the same magazines. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the 357 Magnum. I've got a 357 lever rifle. I've got a 357 bolt action. I've got a break action 357. I've got 357 handguns. Uh, I'm probably gonna honestly at this point. You can only collect so many guns before you're you know over the edge. I'm gonna have to pick one of my 45s. Like a like choosing which child is going to die and sell it off because I want to buy a three fifty seven um, nineteen eleven pattern. Um, but th that having that dual caliber capability is great, and I don't know that it's the best thing in the way that it's usually presented as being like a big game thing or something like that. But there isn't a person who's going to get shot with a forty four Magnum or a three fifty seven at like ten feet and say, ouch, stop doing that. Right? <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna change their opinion about what their intentions are really, really fast. Yeah. Right? So so I think it's it's more than adequate for that that scenario. If you want to know who is making three fifty seven, thirty eight special, forty five Colt and forty four Magnum rifles, it's Henry H E N R Y USA dot com. They're a USA company. Every part, every piece is made and assembled in the USA. You'll see Henry Rifles advertised on TV quite regularly, like on Fox and uh, other channels. So that's where you go to get a lever action 357, like Jack has. Yeah. Except mine's a Marlin. <laughs> okay, like, Marlin. Okay, fine. Mar Mar Marlin. Marlin does it too. Yeah, um, and, and Rossi has some pretty decent lower-cost options, too. I, I got another thing that I've been playing with. So Midland is this uh, new shotgun that's out. They have one called a Backpacker. It's a single-shot shotgun. It, it's an 18-and-a-half-inch barrel, and since it's a single-shot where the, the chamber and the breech are the same, there's no, there's no action, so to say, um, it's really short. It almost looks like it should be illegal, but it's not. Um, I have one of those, and then we just brought on gun adapters, so I have the ability for, this is all in about 200 bucks out of pocket. I can shoot 12 gauge, I can shoot 20 gauge, I can shoot 28 gauge, I can shoot 410. I can shoot 45 ACP, uh, I can shoot 45 Colt. Uh, I can shoot 38 Special and 357 Magnum out of that one gun for 200 bucks. Now, I don't know that that's really the, most, the best thing in the world for security, but I'll tell you what you got with this gun. 
no matter what's in it, and 12-gauge gauge double-O buck is, is sufficient. You've got a gun that folds up that can be easily concealed. In most states, it's going to be legal because it's a long gun. Yes. Right? And when you see a 12-gauge bore pointed at your face, you generally don't get shot because you generally do what you're asked to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, there is an intimidation factor of the shotgun that is absolutely undeniable. Absolutely. And, and I don't like the idea of, of, I guess you'd call it brandishing, but if I can make you leave without killing you, that's what I would prefer to do. You know, so it depends on the situation. You've got to be very careful. Remember always, like, we can't go into a whole show on firearms here. When you present a deadly weapon, you give at least somewhat level of perceived cause for deadly response. Yep. So these are last case things. Everybody wants to talk about the gun, the gun, the gun. Again, I'm back to go to the most secure location possible and then take security steps. And then remember to have what I call protocols and procedures. So procedures are how you do something. Protocols are what you enact under a scenario. So a procedure you do all the time the same way. But now we are at an unknown location. Our protocol is different. And have, like, we can't get into that. I've done whole shows on that too, but have that down. Document that. It's, you're not going too far by documenting that. That way you can go over it with everybody in your group. If you put together a, you might put together a group in 10 minutes with your neighbors because you're ready to go and they're not. And they might have, oh, I've got a cargo truck. Throw your shit in. Come with me, right? And then that way you have that and you say, okay, in this situation, this is what we're going to do. And people say, well, can you take charge that way? If you take charge that way, generally people will follow you because they're in a situation where they don't know what to do. And if you have a clear, concise, logical, well-thought-out plan, generally you're not perceived as being an asshole trying to take over. You're perceived as, okay, this guy's got his shit together. Let's do what he says. Yep, very good advice. And the other thing is uh, my good buddy Dave, who uh, I know is going to be listening to his show, he's going to go, Steve, talk about talk about talk about it. Dave travels the world a lot, and he was with his girlfriend, I think it was in Peru, and they were in an Uber, and they were going to the um, airport at 2 a.m. for an early morning flight, and the Uber guy was driving through a bad neighborhood, and Dave's smart guy, he's on the lookout, he knows trouble when he sees it coming, and there was like four people marching with intent right towards that Uber car. You know, and saw the two white people and the uh, the man and the woman in the back of the car. He has a, a red laser pointer that he carries with him. <laughs> he popped that thing out. He put a red dot on the middle of the chest of the biggest guy. They turned around and ran in the other direction so friggin' fast. <laughs> he says, he says, I've done it so many times. You put that red dot on someone's forehead or you put it on their chest. And then, you know, they can't see you or what you're holding. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those points where you're not waiting to see if it's a bluff, right? Because yep. the consequences are too high. Yep. Um, so moving on from there, uh, you said we got this one off Facebook. Jack and Steve, how do I easily increase, easily being the key word, <laughs> the amount of stuff I can carry either with my vehicle or my trailer? What are some tips and tricks? Well, on the trailer, there's the roof rack. And you can put easily buy those. They're online, even on Amazon. And you can put roof racks up and put down a piece of plywood. Then you can bungee cord down uh, more luggage and more boxes and more yellow and black totes on top of your trailer. 
Now, here's one that someone had that I just friggin' love. If you put a, um, a ladder rack on your trailer so you can climb up to the top of the trailer, some of these, we're talking about using construction trailers or cargo trailers and modifying them to be bug-out trailers slash campers instead of buying a camper. Uh, because you got more space, and some of these roofs you can walk on them. And it's like, heck, if I was in bear country at a campgrounds, I would go on top of my uh, 14 or 16 or 24 or 28-foot trailer, and I'd put down an air mattress, pop up a tent, and I'd be sleeping on top of my trailer, eight feet off the ground. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a heck of an idea. You're off the ground. You're out, you know, no bugs, no critters, no water issues and everything else. It's a heck of a, a, heck of a way. But you can have half your uh, trailer for sleeping, half of it for roof rack. Uh, there's also these soft, waterproof rooftop storage bags that you bungee down to, like, where the top of your doors are on your car. And this guy says, he goes, I got one of these things. I can put three of my army duffel bags in them. You know, they're good for storage expansion. We don't need them. They fall up. They roll up. You know, when it's on top of my car, it's two foot by two foot by four foot. That's enough for the duffel bags. Uh, for the roof of the vehicle or the trailer, you can put on top of the trailer. Uh, it, you know, does, they make all sorts of things for tops of cars and tops of trucks and everything, so you can put your skis up there, so you can put your luggage up there for you going camping and everything else. Look around, look online, look for them to be on clearance at Home Depot. I really like his soft-sided one, the the big bag that goes on top of your car, like a thick leather, only a thick, yeah. thick vinyl, and you just unzip it, and you clip it to the top of all four of your doors, not the where the doors go into, the door frame. You just clip it there, and you just, like, throw your stuff into it, and you travel, and then when you get to your spot, you take it down, you take it off, you roll it up. It's not up there forever. You can roll it up and put it away. I think that's a heck of a good idea. I think it's great, and I think in, in, increasing your capacity to carry gear with you is a good thing. On the other hand, I think you can get over top with it. Remember I talked about EDC yep. earlier? Like, I've seen guys that are EDC, they look like freaking Batman with a utility belt, right? So, yep. like, and then, and then of course, they don't actually carry their EDC. It becomes SDC, some someday carry, right? <laughs> or FDC, frequent day carrier, or SDC, sometime carry, right? And that's not what you're looking to do. So, the other thing is, you, you have to also be realistic about how long you're going to have to load up and load out. Mm -hmm. And when you get where you're going, if you stop and set up, how long is it going to take you to close back down and move again? You want to stay mobile. So be a little bit careful with how much you think you need. Remember, the things that you need most are food, water, sanitation, health and comfort items, security and defense, uh, and personal sanitation. Yep. If, you, if you could cover that, you're okay. You don't have to have everything but I, I understand the desire to increase capacity, sometimes not even just for sustainability, but, you know, there might be 10, 20 things in your home that you just really don't want to leave behind. Yeah. And it's not so much so you'll have them while you're bugged out. It's so you'll, you'll still have your them. Your scrapbooks, uh, your picture yeah. books. Uh, your, Family heirlooms. Yeah, and insurance yeah. papers, your jewelry, especially your grandmother's ring and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And make sure you have a checklist inside the bug out trailer on the wall with a pen. So when you are in a tizzy and you got 15 minutes to leave, you can get, uh, you got an empty tote sitting there or an empty duffel bag. And you take the list, you go through your house, you go grandma's ring, you know, and, uh, silver, silver candlesticks and, uh, photo books of kids and videotapes of when the kids were little and you throw them all into the, the bag. And now that, now that you got a checklist, you know, in your head, I'm, I'm always one of those people. I go back to my hotel room like three times under the bed and under the table. Did I get everything? Did I leave everything? Now, you know, you got the checklist, you got it all and you can go with peace. All right. So let's, uh, we're, we're rounding out a lot of time here. So we're going to have uh last one, one last one for this episode, guys, uh, Jack and Steve, it's not just our two legged humans that have to leave. We're going to have to take our dogs or cats with us. What should we do to be prepared as we can for this? You're the animal guy. Well, there's a lot of things, but I think the one that gets overlooked the most is be sure that your animals are familiar with travel uh, and realize that that can change. So when I first got Max, he was an 18-month-old pup. He weighed about 100 pounds, and I could say, get in the truck. And he jumped up in the truck, and he was happy, and he's panning, and he's all excited about going somewhere. Now he's an 11-year-old, 150-pound German shepherd with bad hips. Right. So we actually went out and we got a three-way fold-up ramp mm -hmm. that he can use to get in the truck. So as your pets age, one of the things you want to ask yourself is, can they get in the vehicle? Now, if you have a little 15-pound schnauzer, mini schnauzer, or something like that, you pick them up and whip them in. When you have a 150-pound dog, it's not like picking up a 150-pound barbell. Right. It's, it's a lot more complicated, especially if he has bad hips and you, know, you don't want to hurt him. Mm -hmm getting him in the vehicle. So I would say make sure that you have ways for your animals to get in your vehicle in the first place. Uh, socialize and take them places. Yeah, yeah. Like you, the best training place for your dogs, Home Depot, Lowe's, PetSmart, and Petco. Yeah. Right? Because they're all dog-friendly public locations. And the number one way to make dogs publicly acceptable creatures, take them there when they're puppies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take them. And they never – and that's how you train a pup. If you, if you put a dog in a scenario where it can't fail, it never will. Right. You, you house train a dog, crate train it. Never let it have a chance to go to the bathroom in the house. After a couple of weeks of that, the concept will be so far into it it won't. So if you take your dog when it's a puppy and put him on a little leash and let him trot around Petco and stuff, and if he pees, please be nice and clean it up. If you do that and people are there and walk up, oh, can I pet your puppy? Sure. You have the dog sit so he's being obedient when he's being socialized. Yep. By the time he's big enough to realize, hey, I could tear some ass if I wanted to, he's already learned this scenario is not for that. Yep. So like my dog, Char Charlie, you try to get in that front gate, he will eat your face off. Mm -hmm. But if I take him for a walk somewhere and somebody walks up to him, hey, this is, this is what friends do this. Yep. Uh, so, so and he he's going to react to me. So, train the dog, or you know, cats or, or the cat. are not really. Yeah, to uh, the, I would say you train a dog, you acclimate a cat. Yes. right. Cats are not highly trainable, but like you know, if you have a cat, occasionally take it somewhere, <laughs> put it in a little carrier. Yep. You know. Have it sleep in its carrier. Yep. We've done that with Alice. We have a little carrier, mm -hmm. and we you know put a thing in there and make sure that they don't confuse it with their litter box. Mm -hmm. um, but just so they, they're familiar with it, and please attempt to go somewhere with all of your animals at one time if you think that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Because it's not as easy as you think that it is. Oh, God, no. You know? 
What do you say, Steve, on that? You know, one of the things, my wife and I had uh, two cats, and uh, we would go and rent a vacation house on the beach for a week, and sometimes we snuck the cats in, and we would bring their bed with them, their little curl-up bed, uh, and sometimes we'd even bring, like, uh, we, and we found that when we, we, sometimes we'd have to bring our own bath towels for the house, and the cats would, would be curling up either in their bed or on our bath towel, that we used after we came in from the pool. The cat would pull the towel down off the back of the chair where it was drying, and it would curl up on it because it had our scent on it. So bring something familiar with for your animal, either their bed or some bath towels that you've used, just so they got a place where they can curl up and smell you or smell themselves and be comfortable, comfortable with it. Um, Bring their food in hard plastic containers because, don't forget, bears like to eat dog food and cat food. And if you're in a bear area, they'll smell it. So it's got to be in a sealed container. Uh, Bring their water bowls. I mean, you know, when you pour dog food into your dog food bowl and you hear they go, the dog comes running. He's going to associate that same thing when you're out on the road. You're pouring dog food into his bowl. Oh, food time. Yeah, this is familiar to me. Uh, make sure you're with dogs, you got multiple leashes, because you're always going to lose one. And you got multiple ways with ropes and clips, you know, to attach your dog to a tree or to the line or to the bumper of your car. No National Lampoon <laughs> vacation jokes here, people. Okay. Probably half the audience is too young to even know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll give you a couple things on the leads, leashes and, and tying dogs up. So number one is... I'm not a huge fan of choker collars, but it is your only option if you're going to use a collar and you think you're going to hold a dog. The, the dumbest dog in the world will figure out how to slip a collar in about 15 minutes, especially if, if it's a dog that is not generally tied up to a location and trained that, like, okay, when this is done, I'm supposed to stay here. Number two, you, t- you tie a dog to a tree. If you have to, fine, but the problem is the dog walks around the tree, ends up with, like, two inches of rope and the rope under his leg and all. They make stakes that go on the ground, have a swivel on them, dog can go in circles all he wants, and as long as you keep him where he can reach a tree to pee on it but not get around the other side of it, he won't get tied up. Probably the best way uh, to hold your dog in a place like that, if it's, it's like my dogs are never tied up, so this would be an unfamiliar experience, would be to get one of the things where you have a cable, it runs between two trees with a pulley on it, yep. There's a lead for the dog. The dog can go back and forth and left and right and far enough to lay down yeah. and pee, but he can't wrap and tangle himself up. And you're either, again, you're either with a choker, choker collar or you've got to go to a harness um, because a standard dog collar, especially any dog that is not accustomed to being bound by a, a rope, a lead, a chain, which I think is actually long-term a horrible way to keep a dog, by the way, um, will immediately instinctively slip their collar because it's it's it would be like if I came up and I was talking to you and we just met especially right you would be uncomfortable even if we hadn't but if you ever had to deal with a close talker where the person just you know and I'm talking from Seinfeld they get like two inches from your face Mm -hmm. and then you back up and they get closer well what is your natural reaction to that person Seinfeld fans are if they're a sidler too you have a problem that's where you move sideways and they stay with you but your natural reaction is to move away because that personal space is violated, therefore you're uncomfortable, and you're in, your instinct is to correct the discomfort. You put a dog 
and you tie him to a tree or to a car bumper that's never experienced that before, the first instinct, this is wrong, I don't like this, how do I get out of it? As they pull back, they feel it, oh, boom, they're out. And I mean, I've never seen a dog put in that situation that didn't figure out how to do it, like, really, really quickly. Yeah. Also, don't forget, I mean, your animals traveling with you, you mentioned the, you know, the psychological pressures of bugging out and worrying about your house and the kids are away from their bed and what's familiar. Having your pet with you can be very therapeutic, both for you and the children. Absolutely, for the dog, too. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean dogs, dogs know when something's wrong. They do. Right? And they, they do. And, and they also have some level of, a, of, of the, you know, the, the pack instinct that's in them to be comfort uh, to, to their pack when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so I think it's really important, and I'm glad that question came in, because it's something that so many people overlook, and that's where you end up with people that somebody will help them leave, but they won't leave because they can't take their animal. You, if you can't, and the way I look at it, too, is like, so I mentioned bees earlier, right? My Michael Jordan, our, our, our bee expert, you know, he says when people like, are half-assed in their care of a bee, he's like, well, you're the one that put them in a box. They were happy living in a tree. You put them in a box, so now it's your responsibility to take care of them because they didn't ask you to put them in a box. Mm-hmm. And I kind of look at that with your dogs and your cats. You know, you're the one that decided that this animal was going to live in your home to provide for you in some beneficial way happiness, joy, protection, whatever. Now, you're in the position where you need to be reciprocating. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, we talked earlier before we got on air, but, you know, like we're, we're, we're getting rid of the ducks. But if we weren't getting rid of the ducks and there's a tornado coming or something like that, I'm not loading up 150 freaking ducks, right? <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. And the ducks are going to have to see to themselves. But my dogs and cats, they're coming with right. us, you know? Absolutely. So, you know, be prepared for that. And you have in your notes, I think it's really important, be considerate you know, barking dogs and things like that. So if you have a dog that won't be quiet, you're going to have to go off by yourself and something like that. You can't have it be uh, disruptive. Mm-hmm. But, again, that's why I'm so big. Home Depot, Lowe's, PetSmart, Petco. Get the dogs as pups. Put them in the car. Take them places. Make it fun. Go by Starbucks. Get yourself a coffee. That when you come around the window, tell them you want a puppy whip. They'll squirt a little whipped cream in the, in the cup, and they'll give it to you for your dog. Oh, really? Whip, right? Yeah, yeah, it's called a puppy whip, and some of them call it a puppuccino. But it's just, it's a little, it's a little whipped cream in a cup. And people are like, well, I don't want my dog to have junk. Don't do it all the time. <laughs> do this two or three times with the dog, and even if you stop doing it, it's not, oh, when I go in the car, I get a puppy whip. It's, the car's a good thing. Right. Because that's what you want the dog to feel like. Cars are good things. Right. Uh, when we go places and see people, that's a good thing. If the master is happy, I'm happy. If the master is relaxed, there's no need to be aggressive. Right. If I, it, and I'll tell you, actually, I think it's a good reason to train aggression into a dog that can be brought up on command. Mm-hmm. Because if I have the ability to tell the dog it's time to be aggressive, mm-hmm. and I haven't done that, the dog knows that I don't think aggression is necessary right mm-hmm. now. But I'll also say this. When you have a dog that does that, and he's good about it, and somebody walks by your camp, and that dog goes, yeah. trust the dog over the person. Yeah, absolutely. That dog's not lying to you. There's something wrong. Now, he could have misread it, but trust him. Trust the dog over the person when a dog's well trained. Oh, the dog can sense your fear or your emotions. Yeah, yeah. Or, or that you're just a shitbag. I'm sorry. I mean, that's... <laughs> dogs know, man. <laughs> they know. Steve, man, this has been great. Uh, we killed it again. 
Yeah, yeah, we got a bunch more to do here, but uh, <laughs> we'll be we'll be back uh, Tuesday, first Tuesday in the month of March with uh, Bug Out Trailers 4. And, and man, I, I want to thank you for doing this and making the commitment to, to get through this with me and for, like, basically being the secretary for this thing because uh, you put together a great document, you keep updating it, and you keep adding to it and taking off of it, and uh, I, I don't have time right yep. now to do it, man. So I couldn't do this without yeah, you. Yeah, I wanted to make it easy on you. I know you're doing a lot, and I wanted this to be an easy and a fun show both for us and both for the listeners, where we get to talk about things where we don't normally get to talk about. And uh, you had to do it last time, and because I forgot to do it. But all <laughs> my stuff I do with Jack is at steven1234.com. You can go find all of our, my stuff there, so check that out. Don't forget T-Spaz for Amazon. That's where we get most of our Amazon stuff. And I uh, love it, Jack. This is great fun. And uh, I think an hour 15 is the right format and everything else. Yep. And the Falcon 9 Heavy is getting ready to go up in six minutes. So per- timing is perfect. Yeah, I'm hoping that works out. I want to see it go up and in only one direction. <laughs> if that happens, we're good. <laughs> okay. All right, Steve. Take care. Have a okay, great day, man. Bye, everyone. See you next month. Well, as always, it's great talking to Steve and Harris. And, uh, He's really just an awesome guy. We're just so fortunate to have him within our community. But I want to remind you now, if you want to support this show, of course, you can become a member of the MSB. You can learn more about that by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on members. But the completely painless way is to do your online shopping through tspaz.com. A lot of you are probably going to buy something today or this week online. I mean, most people buy something online a few times a month at least. And if you go to tspaz.com, Before you do your online shopping and start your online shopping from there, you'll help support the Survival Podcast and the work we do. And one of the other things you can do while you're there is check out all the reviews, which I've now broken down into categories so you can see everything I've reviewed over the last three years. And remember, if it's on my site and I've reviewed it, I own it, I use it, I've bought it, I've tested it. And today goes right in with our subject matter, the Ranger 2 tabletop stove. I've been recommending this thing for about two years now. I own one, and I'll tell you what. I really use it a lot. If I didn't have a gas stove, I would use it more. Uh, this is what I call a preparedness item that is also an everyday use item. This is an item you can use in your daily life all the time. When you're camping, when it's really beautiful outside, you want to go out on the back deck in the morning and have your coffee and cook up some bacon and eggs, you can use this item. And you should. And I'll tell you why. When you use an item routinely and then you need it in an emergency... It suddenly ain't like using something in an emergency. It's just like what you always do. This is a great tool. It is a very powerful stove for its size. Uh, if you don't have a gas stove, it'll change your life just a little bit to be able to cook with gas. You know, uh, It runs on propane. You can either use the small bottles or you can attach it to a great big tank. I have the links for all the accessories for you uh, in the show notes. comes with a great, uh, you know, a, just a great setup. And for those of you that are thinking about building a bug-out trailer, this is the stove that I would recommend hands down for the majority, not everybody, but the majority of people doing a bug-out trailer. Um, it is just fantastic, and I don't know of anything else under 100 bucks that offers this level of quality. This stove, when I cook on it, cooks with the same level of control and power as my $1,600 gas range in my kitchen. That's how badass this thing is. So check it out again. It's the Camp Chef Ranger 2 Tabletop Stove. And if you're building a bug-out trailer, 
Again, I can't recommend it highly enough, which is why I selected it for today's show. That brings us to our song of the day. The song of the day today is called Ordinary Life by a band called Simple Plan. Never heard of them. Never heard of the song. Uh, and not exactly my style of music. This is, uh, I don't know, this makes me think like 20-something club music. But without the, not like that, more of just like that kind of song. So it's not my main style of music, but boy do I like this song. Let me give you a bit of the lyrics here. It's just another Monday. I'm just another face in a faceless crowd. I'm going down a one-way, caught up in the machine, and I'm spit right out. I'm living in a rat race. I'm looking for my soul in the lost and found. I'm sitting in the same spot, counting every tick-tock, going to hit the punch clock, when it's, when it's going to stop, another day in black and white. One, two, three, four, five. Another week goes by. I'm half alive. I'm getting sick of fake, faking this. I'm over it. Don't want no suit and tie. I gotta live before I die. So I'm done, done, done with this ordinary life. And I think, I mean, that's just, there's so many of you guys out there that that is you. Maybe in a different viewpoint or vantage point, but that's just being controlled by the system and wanting more freedom in your individual lives. Um, This is the, the one that hit me, though, like, really, this is the difference in, in, in people that feel this way versus people that actually get something done and, and, and change their life and break this cycle. What happened to someday? What happened to the dreams of the wide-eyed kid? Don't tell me that it's too late. Don't tell me I can't because you never did. Let me tell you something, guys. When I was a young 20-something... And I would talk about what I was going to do with my life. I have to say that my life worked out a lot like my vision for it. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that, you know, when I moved here to Texas, that their parents were part of their lives. And we would talk to them, you know, they're 20, 30 years older than you. And you're here with all this, you know, hard charging stuff that you're going to get done. And they always would try to bring it back to, you know, you got to be conservative. You got to be careful. That's a nice dream. Maybe someday, right? That's what I always heard. You know, I always thought, Screw that. Screw that shit and screw you placating me because you don't have shit. Because a lot of these people really didn't. They weren't bad people, and I don't mean that they were living in a cardboard box or something, but they didn't really have anything. They were still, they were 45, 55, 60 years old and still struggling their ass off every day with no idea how they were going to retire. And then they're advising you not to be so aggressive, not to have such a big dream, whatever. Don't tell me that it's too late. Don't tell me that I can't because you never did. Take that away from today's episode. Apply that to your life. I won't be talking to you in a new episode until Monday next week. I've got rewinds coming for you. That's a hell of a thing to leave you with. Don't tell me it's too late. Don't tell me I can't because you never did. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.